This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Water Cooler Talk, the only podcast on the internet with better odds of sticking to a new episode every other week than Theresa May does to getting her Brexit deal passed in the British Parliament. And joining us today on the podcast to have an in-depth discussion about British politics is a man of many creative talents. Noah Kazi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. For those of you that may be worried this episode will contain an in-depth discussion about British politics, do not fret... I know little to nothing about their political system unless it directly affects us here in the United States because why would I need to know that? I now? got really scared. <laughs> I was like, oh God. Oh, this is not <laughs> what I prep for. Uh, but instead, I have come prepared today with a selection of some of the strangest news stories happening in this place we call our world. Because ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Water Cooler Talk Podcast, the podcast whose main mission is to connect the world in conversation by taking the strangest, the weirdest, the quirkiest, most bizarre, and most unbelievable real-life news stories and open up a discussion about some of the ideas presented in those articles. If you want to share a strange and interesting local news story yourself, comment your thoughts on one of today's stories or some of your favorite bakery in the UK, you can email us at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at watercoolertalkpod. Noah, are you ready to jump into story numero one? I'm so ready it hurts. So ready it hurts. <laughs> this is from Fox 29, Philadelphia, US. Man lost in snow for five days survived on Taco Bell sauce packets. Noah, you recently took a road trip around the U.S. a bit. Taco Bell any time during that trip? That's all we ate. Yeah, we yeah. only ate Taco Bell sauce packets. We tried to keep it cheap that way, so we, <laughs> we would go into different Taco Bells on the road trip, get the sauce packets, and we were good to go, just like and this man like right the, la- the lady or the people working there are like, uh, you guys like, are you guys going to order food? No, if you just wear, the if sauce. If you wear sunglasses, they don't even notice yeah. you. One of walk the interesting, I told you, I gave you the tip about eating breakfast at the hotels. Yes. Also, I, while I was on the road doing my thing, I would eat the breakfast at the hotels, make like a lunch out of that breakfast. And it's then too easy. For it's most easy. of the nights, I would eat Taco Bell. Oh, really? Like I would get a shredded chicken mini quesadilla, and then I would get the beefy fried filet burrito, which is like two sixteen or something, and I always pay with change. And I remember most of the people are, would be like, oh, are you using your like washing money on this? I'm like, no, I just have a bunch of coins. <laughs> but that was like the like the basis of my nutrition while I was on the road for three wow. months. Wow. So yeah. you weren't actually going on a road trip. You were just destroying your body. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> okay. all I was doing. And oh, then, yeah. It's, so, you know, it's, 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 it's the way to life to live. <laughs> but... Let's get into Jeremy Taylor's story. Let's do it. Jeremy Taylor, 36, an avid outdoorsman, was last seen filling up his car the Sunday of an off-roading trip in Sun River, Oregon, along with his dog, Allie. Not too long into the day of off-roading, Jeremy had become stuck in the deep snow of a U.S. Forest Service road and decided to sleep until morning light on Monday. On Monday, he attempted to hike out to find help, but the snow was too deep. For the next five days before being discovered by snowmobilers, Jeremy and his dog Allie survived on Taco Bell sauce packets, the water from the snow, obviously, and starting the engine to periodically warm up. So, Noah, yes. from Bear Grylls and all those survivor men, <laughs> we know that you can survive about three weeks without food and about three days without water. So we have a story full of crap here, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I was wondering about that. So, yeah, you're wondering. This is a very basic story. Not a lot of meat to this story, but there's a, there's a little... 
I like to bring a little fun to the first story. A little sauce. Yes. Mm. Ooh, very nice. Mm. Because basically the way you can look at the story, very clickbaity title, the way you can look at the story is basically a guy survives off of his body fat for five days and then has a few sauce packets. Yeah, it, it, lower in the article, it actually mentions that all the guy really said about Taco Bell sauce packets was one of his friends was like, yeah, I heard you ate sauce packets. And he was like, yep, Taco Bell saved my life. Yeah, so and we have no idea if it's true. Like, Taco Bell saves life. <laughs> that was like one of those things where like, I feel like someone wrote out this article. Their boss was like, we need something better. T- Taco Bell, put it in the headline. And the writer's like, it's not true. It's not but- true at all. <laughs> But Noah, there's a reason I wanted to discuss this story. What is that? As I stated, Noah, you recently took a road trip through a few of our great states here in the U.S. And a part of road tripping, that I think the thing that people often overlook when road tripping is survival. Mm. Because you think you have a car, you think you can get somewhere. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you break down. Sometimes you get stuck in the snow. So Noah, I have three. Count them. One, two, three. How many weeks without food? Three weeks. How many days without water? Three. I have three survival situations for you, and I want you to give your advice on how to survive these situations. All right. Noah, are you ready to play our favorite game here on the podcast? Three Days Grace? More like three weeks to survive this place. The number one rated game show about testing your survival knowledge in all survival situations. Oh, no. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Game show music play. Noah, today you are playing for a car. Do you need a new car? I actually just bought a car, but... Okay, well, like... never mind then. <laughs> never mind. All right, you're playing for pride. Pride. All right, Noah, this is survival situation number one. While on a jaunt through the jungle, you spot a colorful bird off in the distance. While chasing after the bird to get a better look, you fall into a pit of quicksand. What should you do to avoid sinking to the bottom of an untimely and sandy death? So the bird is unrelated? The bird is, that's just how you got into the situation. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. You were like, that's a really colorful bird. And then, then you're focused quicksand. up. You're focused up on the bird and you didn't see the quicksand I and they fell in. I always do that. Yeah. I always do that. Well, if my Nickelodeon childhood taught me anything, it's that you don't move in quicksand, right? You have to stay still and slowly pull yourself out from within. Kind of. What they recommend is that you don't move a lot. The more you struggle, the more you sink, is to try to get your feet up and kind of like lay on your back and then kind of like nudge your way to the side of the pit. Interesting. Well, Adam, I have a question for you. Yes. Is quicksand real? I believe so. I feel like we we saw it so much. Let's look up a picture of quicksand here Both? on the interweb. I, I'm pretty sure it's real, right? Why would they tell us about it? I have seen a lot of the world and never met quicksand. There's quicksand here. I'm it's seeing like, all these guys. It's like, what are those blimps? Is that what they're called? That fly through the sky? Yeah, like the Goodyear blimp? Yeah, those were on TV too. Yeah, have you never, never seen, seen one of those? No. Really? Never. Oh. Quicksand and blimps. I don't believe they're well, actually Noah, real. Well, Noah, you are one for one in the survival situations. On to survival situation number two. Right. And each level, it'll get a little more personal, a little more difficult. Get that into your mind. A nuclear bomb has dropped. A radiation-free shelter is available, but can only take six people. What six people from your family and friends would you save? I want names, and I want you to share the podcast with the people that you haven't saved. So six people now. Adam, hush. I told you, each level gets more difficult. Six people I can only save, including myself? Yes. So first, myself, because I'm selfish. Second, (laughs) my dog, Walter. Okay. It's the cutest dog you've ever seen in your whole life. I would just like to point out to Noah's parents, he chose the dog before you guys. Is that not reasonable? It makes sense to me. (laughs) That's the natural. Natural order. Then next, yeah, my parents. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so you're you have two more open spaces. Two more. Wait. Yeah, I do. 
So, I have three siblings. That's horrible. Ooh, so, so bad. potentially, well, or you could just let them all get radiation poisoning and then choose two other people. You don't even have to choose them. So it's either two of my siblings leave one out or zero siblings is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, this calls on a really good argument of philosophy is what is the deal with siblings? What are, what are we supposed to feel? How exactly. much of it is actually real? How much of it is actually... This is all just to avoid choosing. <laughs> I guess... Ah, maybe I'll take out my dog and put in my three siblings. Wow. That's what I have to do. The dog has a to selfless go. Selfless decision. It is. Family the audience, comes first. The audience will love say. it, but your dog, when it has three heads, will not. <laughs> Noah Kazi, a family man. All right, no, I feel like I feel like most of the people would say you won that round, right? Good. So let's go on to survival situation number three. This one I just found today while I was on the internet. I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it fit right into, you know, surviving on the open road. Your significant other, who you are madly in love with and hope to marry one day, decides to get a tattoo of their recently passed sibling on their chest. It's very lifelike. <laughs> you confront them about being uncomfortable while you have sex because you often catch the staring glaze of the tattoo. This confrontation leads to an argument in which you tell your significant other to try and jack off to a picture of their deceased sibling and see how they like it. How do you survive this situation, Noah? One, I don't say that. So I you no, already I'm, said it. I already said it. It just came out. Yep. How do you oh. recover this relationship? How do you survive this real life situation? I'd start off with saying, first of all, of course I don't want you to actually jack off to your deceased sibling. <laughs> that was a ludicrous thing that just came out of my mouth just there. And I'm sorry for that. So I'd apologize. And then I'd do a little walk in my shoes action. I'd say what I was trying to get at here is my inability to fornicate with you without seeing your deceased sibling and that makes it very hard i'd bring up compromise maybe you can wear a wife beater maybe you can wear even though i probably am madly in love with your body i'm not madly in love with your deceased sibling and we can honor your sibling without needing to add him to our sex life that's what i would say <laughs> I think that is, I think that wraps up a three for the, I think that was a pretty good response. That was some good advice. I Thank found you. that on the internet today. I was like, what? It's a, that, that would be a I've good question. i thought about that dynamic. Interesting. Those are things that, that happened in someone's real life. Oh, poor guy. That's a real life story. Poor girl. But anyways, that is how you play Three Days Grace. More like three weeks to survive this place. Stop by next time where we quiz our contestants on the correct way to survive a night with Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to welcome to the show Noah Kazi, a self-proclaimed goofball child in a really tall body and quite the one-two punch of writer-actor. Have you heard of Shawshank Redemption listeners? That's right. Noah wrote and starred in that very same film. I did. No need to fact check that, people. No need to believe everything I say. Regardless, Noah, you are quite the talented creative. I have oh. the opportunity to work with you on a project. Do you think you identify more with being a writer or an actor? That's a good question because I pursued acting in college, so most people think I would say acting, but from either the fact that I'm completely burned out from the conservatory style training that I'm in, which is just not a smart training. It's basically all hours every day and nobody can stay passionate about anything for four <laughs> years with that. Nobody. I repeat, nobody. I do love acting and I definitely want to stay an actor. I think I just need a little bit of a break and writing has been a great way to be an introvert and really process my creativity in that space rather than people all the time, emotional vulnerability, 
everything. Um, so yeah, right now I'd say I'd really want to pursue writing with acting, obviously always being part of the equation. Yeah. With writing, why, why do you, to you, why do you think it's important that people share their stories? Well, I'm a gay male personally, and I'm from the South and my dad's a pastor. So it's all these factors that are just kind of smacked all in one. And I believe the reason I'm called to be an actor is kind of to relay that experience. I see a lot of the gay experiences on TV being pretty two-dimensional. It's like we're allowed to have the gay characters now, but we don't want to go too far or we don't have enough space to go too far. So I think it's kind of my sole mission to create some stories where the person's sexuality is the fourth most interesting thing about them behind three That's a very good things, point. Yeah. Too often it's the only defining factor. I, I really hope to write stories that represent people who identify more with me and my type of eccentricity. That's the thing like I've noticed as a straight man, I've noticed the media is you can always tell the gay guy or a the media. gay woman or because they overplay their characteristics and it's just like there's just a normal person. They just have a different exactly. sexual preference. So. And we're starting to touch on it. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I want to be part of that movement. Oh, that is awesome. Listeners, if you're interested and experience more of Noah's wisdom, you can follow his Instagram Rebel without a causey with an extra Y there at the Two end. Lies. Or retweet some of his poignant tweets at Orange Noah 9. Noah, speaking of your Twitter. <laughs> no. July 19th, 2015, <laughs> you sent out this tweet. Nothing gets me going more than a powerful hand dryer. And then over two years later, on September 27th, 2017, you this said, is creepy, Adam. Dear God, this is called doing research. <laughs> no. Dear God, thank you for the love and the passion and the Dyson Airblade. Noah, what is it about hand dryers that gets you revved? First of all, they're so environmentally sound. We know that. That's the reason the hand dryers exist. But I think what I'm really getting at here is not just a hand dryer, but the Dyson Airblade. You know when you see a Dyson Airblade that you're going to be in and out of that bathroom. Five seconds tops. And not only will you be out, but you won't have to be wiping your wet hands against your pants. That's very true. You can walk dry and happy. Are they the ones with the blue light? They're the ones that you put your hands through those And holes. they have like the blue lights yeah. and that's like and a- And then you go in and out. Yeah. feel like you're dancing like a kangaroo. <laughs> well, I'm someone, I'm someone who's all about the efficiency in the bathroom. Same. I am a bidet user. You're a bidet user. I have a bidet upstairs, man. Whoa. It's completely changed my life. No way. So I, I, definitely, I definitely agree <laughs> with this this drying system. I feel like it's the way to go. You're not wasting paper towels. Sometimes you go into the bathrooms, there's paper towels all over the fucking place. Everywhere. People have like wet paper towels on the like the there's ceiling. This, it's like, what the heck? There's a paper towel holder at my work where you take out one paper towel and by the nature of you taking that one out, six more fall into the trash. What are we doing here? Those are six paper towels that literally went from paper towel holder straight to trash. I remember in, I think it was middle school, We I don't know if you ever had that, but there were like the rags. There's the revolving oh, rags. Oh, like, freak me And out. now like thinking about that, I was like, that was so disgustingly dirty. <laughs> yeah, I don't see how those can't be dirty by three uses. Yeah, it's just like, oh, everyone's using them to wipe off their dirty hands. But, but I guess your hands are clean because you just wash them. I don't think everyone has good washing technique, Noah. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> you got to sing happy birthday twice, right? All right, Noah, are you ready to jump into story number two? Let's do it. Before we get into story number two, what were, your, what were some of your favorite uh, little places you ate at along the way? 
day of your road trip. We actually only ate at one place the entire time. It was a very, very cheap road trip. So we, oh. we cubbed it. So we got a bunch of food from Cub Foods. Smart. Put it in the back of our car and tried to eat from there a bunch. But we did eat in Salt Lake City. We ate at one of these places that are on diners, drive-ins. What's and it called? Dash? D- yeah, that, yeah, that. With- is that with Guy Fieri? I think so. I think so. I've never seen it personally, but every time I see that a restaurant has been on that show, I'm like, oh, I got to go there, <laughs> even though I've never watched it. But this place was called like the Red Serpent or something like that. And it was this beautiful Mexican restaurant. We ate mole. We ate enchiladas, free chips, the best part. It was great. Have you ever been to a Sonic drive-in oh i've been are you a fan of sonic i used to get their orange cream smoothie shake thing all the time as a kid but would not recommend it for my own kids if we were going to go somewhere (laughs) well speaking of sonic sonic's been having some uh problems this year so this is from the Seattle post ohio u.s sonic workers abandoned restaurant due to terrible management earlier in the year multiple sonics an american drive-in fast food restaurant throughout ohio mysteriously closed down without warning with the employees leaving a single-page warning to any prospective customers looking to fill up on a slushier hot dog. The note read, Due to terrible management, the the whole store has quit. The company has been sold to people that don't give a fuck about anyone but themselves. Sorry for the inconvenience, but our team refuses to work for a company that treats their employees like they are shit when when they have put everything into this store. We have worked too hard for too long. We are off to better things. So to the new owners, fuck you. Sincerely, X Sonic crew. Next article, Arby's gets 60 new workers. (laughs) According to sources close to the situation, the notes were left in response to a new ownership of several Sonic franchises forcing pay cuts to employees from near minimum wage to tipped employees at approximately $4 an hour. You heard that right, $4 an hour plus tip. And just for you guys to know, the minimum wage in Ohio is $8.55 an hour. The minimum wage in Minnesota, where we record this podcast, is $9.86 an hour. Noah, before we get into the big discussion about this, have you ever left a tip at a fast food restaurant? I was about to say that. No, no. I think I make it my motive to not tip at a fast food restaurant. It, it just doesn't like make part, sense. Yeah, it's part of the deal. We had a recent episode with Brian Grossman where we talked about like tipping in general, and I like shared my thoughts on tipping. I always tip like a minimum at a restaurant because you're providing a service that's like extra, and then it depends on like, I mean, if you're a shitty waiter or waitress, yeah. like I'm not going to give you a good a tip. Tip, you know, yeah. I'll give you like the basic what I would give just starting off. But when it gets to like fast food restaurants, it's like there's no first off, like at McDonald's, there's nowhere to tip. No. So yeah. it's like, where am I supposed to tip? When you, you get into like smaller restaurants, like, you know, I used to work at Caribou when you had a tip mm. chart. It's like, yeah, I'll occasionally tip yeah. then. Like if you like made my Still day rare. better. Yeah. And if you're like, if you just serve me, you're like, here's your order, Adam. It's $10. Oh, do you want to leave a tip? I'm like, no, like you didn't improve my day at all. But if at least if you have a smile and you made my day like a little more joyful, I mean, you don't need to right. perform or anything for me. <laughs> hey, Adam. <laughs> hey, Adam. Like, so I know much. if you like tip at um, Cold Stone Creamery, they sing a song for you. It's like, oh, you don't right. need to do that. Right. It's just like, as long as you have like a positive interaction to me being there, it's like, I'll feel more inclined to tip. Right. But, but if, if you're at fast food, how much? is your meal four dollars so even if you did tip 20 percent, that's what 80 cents yeah and a lot of times it's so like broken up it's like who am i tipping and like right. am i tipping the person who just took my order i mean they all they is entered into computer like if you're like serving at a restaurant you're entering it into the computer but then you're going to get the food
food you're serving yeah. throughout the meal. You're making sure I have everything I need. But the ladies at McDonald's, they're, they love me when I go in there, but they're not going to, hey, do you need more Coke? I will say, I just remembered this about Sonic, actually. Sonic is the one where the waiters and waitresses roll up to you on yeah. their on their wheels. Mm-hmm. So I guess that could be part of what Sonic's thinking. Like, oh, we have this roller skating Yeah, I guess to, to make it more clear, the car hops, the people that roll to your car and stuff, they'll get paid the $4 an hour plus tip, right. not the people inside. Okay, so that makes a little bit more yeah. sense to me than a McDonald's situation, but it's still Sonic. You don't go to Sonic yeah. with $20 to throw. It's like, I totally understand, like, the car hops, they are performing more of a service, but it's like, it's also fast food. No one expects to pay at fast food. No. And nobody goes to Sonic either for those roller skates. No. It's cute, but you don't go for yeah, that. Yeah, it's cute go... in the 50s and yeah. the 60s, but now it's like, I just want my food. Yeah, you don't. You might not even notice that they're on roller skates because exactly. you're on your phone. I know... Have you ever taken, as an actor, I know a lot of actors take jobs in the service industry. Yes. Have you had ever had a service industry right job? right now, DP Dell. Perfect. So what are your thoughts on being paid like below minimum, or I don't know how it works, you don't have to share, but I know a lot of serving jobs you're paid below minimum wage because the tips will usually make up for it. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a scam on the employee. I definitely do. Until the day that tips are enforced or regulated, it's just a way of paying your employees way less money for a job they should be getting more money for. When that's how I always see it is like it's an employer guilting a customer to make up for the rest of your living wage. It's not fair to me as a customer that they're not paying you a living wage. And it's like, oh, now I feel bad because Noah's an actor and he's living in an apartment with seven other actors. It's like, now I have to pay for him to get by? It's like, no. Yeah, and say, say you are part of Sonic where there's this huge news storm coming against this business. Your business drops. Now, last month, you made A amount. This month, Sonic has way less customers. You make B amount. How can you live a life off that kind of inconsistency. Yeah, and I know in like a lot more European places, they don't even allow tips. Yeah. Like there's like, no, don't tip me because we pay, like I would rather it's pay more for my meal oh, me than too. have to tip. Because yeah. like tipping is always like, sometimes you leave a tip, you're like, oh, four bucks or something like right. 15, 17%, 20%, whatever. And then the waiter or waitress comes over and they're like, oh, I felt like I deserve more. And then it's like, am I getting bad service? Yeah. And then also there's this whole idea of inauthenticity with the waiter or waitress where they come up to you and you feel like they're like screaming down your throat to get that good tip. And it's like, I'd much rather just be at my table, see you every now and then, and not have to deal with the fact that I'm being served to right now. Yeah. Really focus on the conversation. But most times you get a waitress who's re- or waiter who's really wanting that extra tip. And so... They put on the big smile, the big conversation, the laughs. And you have to question, what's real right now? I, I don't like that kind of That's like one of the fakery. reasons I think that like actors and actresses are so inclined oh, to totally, do service jobs because yeah. it's a lot of acting. Yeah, I don't like doing it, but I know how to do it. There's a <laughs> Every once in a while, if I need a few extra dollars, I'll on. do it. <laughs> I didn't go to acting school for nothing. <laughs> so like for like you talked about, like most employers want to be as cost effective as possible. It's right. like 
we live in a capitalist market. That's the basis of a capitalist market. So like when we raise the minimum wage, the whole debacle about raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, regardless if let's take Sonic as an example, if we raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, Sonic's still gonna find a way around that to be as cost effective as possible. They're gonna say, hey, we'll pay our people eight dollars an hour plus tips, and through some legal loophole, that's okay because tips are supposed to make it up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I think regardless of the minimum wage, whatever we raise and the continuing problems with that is since we live in a capitalist market, companies are going to find a way to be as cost effective as possible and they're going to do more things like Sonic's done here. Which is funny to me because jobs in general are meant to make the money go round basically to the people. So it's funny that sometimes these businesses or industries will put the industry first rather than the people when the people are the reason that that industry exists in the first place. And I think it comes down to, especially in jobs like these, like, I just want to give it up to, like, fast food workers. I think that's a super tough job, especially with how people treat fast food workers. But that's also another case of it is you're very replaceable. replaceable. Like, when you we talk about automation, probably one of the first big jobs to get laid off will be fast food Mm -hmm. workers. So it's, like, it's tough to be like, hey, we want our rights. And then it's like, I can just find 20 other people that. Would want that job. Yeah, and was it was it another Sonic that wrote the thank you next poster? Yeah, yeah. that was another. Yeah, shout out Ariana Grande. She'll be on next week because <laughs> she needs that free advertisement <laughs> more than anybody. Uh, but anyways, uh, this episode of Water Cooler Talk is sponsored by Sonic. <laughs> a taste and a price so good you'll need to abolish the Thirteenth Amendment to beat it. Uh, but anyways, to end the story, Sonic headquarters did release a statement in early March stating, uh, and you can read the full statement. I'm not going to read the full thing out here. Uh, you can read the full statement by following the link posted on our Podbean page. But anyways, we recognize that changes like this can be difficult for employees to understand, and most current employees will have the opportunity to continue working at the drive-in. This is what Sonic says. Checking in, it hasn't been changed. It's still $4 an hour plus tip. No wage rates at any level decreased as a result of this transition, and car ops may continue to receive tips above their hourly rate wage so who knows what's going on with sonic there's some legal loopholes being played by them um based on Glassdoor, sonic car hops make an average of fifteen thousand dollars a year so it's not the most profitable job but it's a job it's a job all right noah are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day talk about some environmental things i know you are an environmental guy oh you know i am you know i am (laughs) so we save the best for last. This is from KFYR TV, North Dakota, US. Senate votes to ban cities from banning or taxing plastic bags or straws. The Senate of Bismarck successfully voted 31 to 14 to pass a bill preventing cities and counties from banning or taxing plastic bags, straws, and cups. Within the past year, numerous moves have occurred within the United States implementing a bag tax or a ban on plastic straws to help cut down on America's 10.5 million tons of yearly plastic waste. The bill, after passing both House and Senate, this is the House and Senate of North Dakota, just to be clear, will now go to the governor's desk. Noah, you are now the current, get into your acting phase, you are now the current Republican governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. Does I this... know his niece. Oh, do you? I know his niece, yeah. She's my friend, Jesse Burgum. I was what? in a show with her. Mm-hmm. So you better be careful what you say. I know, he saw me. <laughs> ah. Does this bill pass through your office signed or not? This bill does not pass signed. I just want to call out the wording of this bill really quick. I've never heard of a bill that bans to ban. It's banning the banning. That's just, isn't double negative 
an equation that you should just keep out of any bill. I don't think the government ever cares about <laughs> literacy. But yeah, it's like obviously no one in their right mind would pass this bill through. It might it might be passed through. Who knows? Well, it's thirty one to fourteen. So yeah, everyone knows. That's like a surprise. at least going through um, the governor. Uh, but everyone knows Bismarck, North Dakota is a bit backwards for our international listeners. Bismarck, North Dakota, bit of a backwards state. They like to do everything a little different. Uh, but anyways, I thought it was quite hilarious that the supporters to this bill kept on saying that these bans would be and taxes would be a burden on business. It's like no. Shit. Like recycling is like not an automated thing. It like right. takes time to do it. It's like you have to sort everything to and get it. Change. It's not easy, or else you yeah. just do the change. And it's like it's another thing. It's like oh yeah, that's going to cost businesses more money. But it's like I mean, in the end, it's like yes, yeah, save a dollar. But and it's it, ruining the earth for every business cost too. We're also up against an environmental cost, and does that not have just as much weight as the business cost? That's what I'm confused about. It's like we're so concerned about business, business business, but we're not concerned about this huge planet that is feeding us. And When I think a lot of people look at it as, I'm going to make my money now, I don't care what happens when I'm dead. I think that's a lot of mindset of these CEOs and these big businesses that cause a lot of the pollution is, as long as I make my you know, buck now, it's who who gives a fuck about what- It's the hamburger. You, You see what you eat- and it looks glossy and clean, and you don't have to think about the rest. You just eat, and you. That's a very good. Right. That's a very good analogy. These are a few facts. The EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, estimates that almost seventy-five percent of U.S. waste can be recycled or composted, but we're only able to recycle about thirty-four percent of it. And since China, once the base for most of the world's recycling, restricted restricted their recycling ports to the world and mostly the U.S. in early 2017, these numbers haven't improved. Noah, besides banning the state of North Dakota, how does the U.S. improve its recycling efficiency? Wow. Yeah, what a question. we're bringing the big questions here. And this is when recycling was solved, when the global crisis... Right now, Noah, solve recycling okay. for okay. America. I knew this was coming. I did know it. That is something I've thought about a lot because a lot of people recycle and they get that immediate satisfaction of doing something good. But where does that recycling go? A lot of it doesn't actually even get recycled. It just gets thrown into the trash. And so then you think that you're doing something when you're actually not. So that's been a problem I've been thinking about a lot. I believe the solution is composting. Composting just makes so much sense to me because it decomposes naturally. And so this waste problem is immediately out the door when these compostable items are taking care of themselves. And I... I've been noticing a lot over campus because University of Minnesota is where I go to school and there's a lot of environmental movements within the university. We've started seeing a bunch of compostable coffee cups, compostable to-go boxes. More of like biodegradable things. And I think those are amazing because they're guilt-free, but you still get that ease and that consumer satisfaction without having to take make too much of changes. And I think one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook when they think of their second plot recycling problem is like how gigantic the U.S. is not in scope of like 
population size because you know like china is bigger than us but just like how far spread out like you just went on a road trip and i there were times where you probably didn't see anyone oh no, totally yeah and like when you think about how spread out the u.s is a lot of the recycling problems come when it's in like rural areas or areas that aren't big cities like yeah we can talk about la's recycling problem minnesota minneapolis is new york because those are all major cities but what about those thousands and thousands right. and thousands of small towns like peter spendalo the Department of Environmental Quality in Oregon said a lot of that rural recycling just gets thrown in the landfill because mm-hmm. they it like the co- a lot of our waste management is private companies. So right. to be as we talked about in the last story, to be as cost effective as possible, they're not going to go all the way driving out to this little town, driving back, sort through the shit, and then drive to the different recycling plants. They're just going to be like, we're going to drive out there, we're going to dump it at the landfill, and that's it. Because landfills, like if you think about a landfill, like there's no, it's the cheapest option to get rid of trash. This is where I think government regulation needs to come in a little bit. Because if you give everybody free reign and you say, your goal, go make money. They'll do that. They'll make that money. And they won't really think about these things that we've talked about that they might be doing in the process that are actually really harmful. And so I think that's when the coach comes in and says, hey, everybody, remember, we got to play by this rule. And this is a rule. And you can still play the game, but at least follow this rule. And I think that kind of action with recycling, with the kind of products you're making and the ways you're making them and the things you're going about with your business need to be overseen a bit more than they are now. Yeah, definitely. I think that's very true. Very true point is like, yeah, if we tell these private companies, it's like, hey, you can have these routes, whichever most cost effective, that's the one we'll choose. They're going to cut corners to do the most cost effective job. So I definitely think the government needs to have a bit more say in how we what we do with our waste management. And it's really easy for me to sit back and look at these people and see them as villains and these hateful crime-ridden people, but in reality, they're me. They're people just trying to survive their daily life, get through a lot of the traumas life can throw at you, and get through it as easy as possible. And so it's not their fault either. They're just trying to make their days. Yeah, that's that's yeah. like something I never, that's a mind-blowing yeah. thought you just had there. No, because that's something you never think about. It's like, these are people that just, this is their job. Like, right. their job is to do this, and if they don't, they'll be fired. Yeah, or and they'll they have, lose their company. Yeah, or yeah. They, they have families to support. They have bills to pay, just like all of us. It's just, you know... You you never think about that. It's kind of an evil system and not so much an evil person. I don't know if there are truly people who would be that evil. Well, there are. There, there's some. There there are. Are. <laughs> there's some out there. As I was saying, I was like, <laughs> you just thought are. of like 20 people <laughs> in my own life. I think the, the biggest thing that people like don't realize about recycling is no matter how much you recycle and you trust these companies to recycle for you, it's not going where you think it's going. Right. Just because what we've been talking about, just the cost effectiveness doesn't make sense. Like, you, they, I don't, what's that little like recycling circle called? Oh, reuse, recycle? Or Reduce, no, it's like reuse, something, recycle? it's like some theory or something how recycling works. Like, oh, that you like make a bottle and then you drink from it and then you cycle it and it's made into oh, it. Oh, it's something yeah. like that. Reusable but anyways, goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
there was some professor, I can't remember, I should have his name down, but he was saying that a bottle will run through that circle like five or six times and then it'll eventually end up in a landfill. So really all we're doing with recycling is just delaying the process of a getting to a bit. landfill. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know the rules that you have to do exactly. to make something recyclable. You have to clean it. You have to get all the food off of it. A lot of people don't know these kind of stipulations. And so all of that, all of those goods, even if it's their first time being reused, are immediately thrown away just because they weren't clean. Well, and that's a very good point, Noah, and it will bring us back to what this whole story is about. There is a lot of different rules for recycling. Basically, if you read into more of it and you read between the lines and what the bill actually says is they want to regulate themselves. Mm. They want to have their own rules that is cost-effective for themselves. They don't want to have to follow a national outline because that may not be the best outline for them. Make it a local thing. Make it a local. Have the locals decide... What do we need to re- what do we need to recycle that's best for us? How can we make it as easy as f- for our people? Because if you used to say, oh, throughout the U.S., you need to recycle plastic straws in this bag, and you need to put caps in this bag, it's like that's a lot tougher than saying, hey, we understand, you know, recycling is hard. First mm-hmm. off, it's like a very hard thing, but to be more local with it in Bismarck and North Dakota, and just saying, hey, you know, nationally they want us to do this, we want to do something that's better for our people. We're looking out for our people. We don't. North Dakota doesn't give a shit about Minnesota. They don't give a shit about California. They care about themselves. So that's why I support kind of this banning of the ban. And it makes sense because just as easily as you could have something in favor of maybe better recycling nationally, you could also have something against recycling procedures nationally. And then you also have to follow that. So that's a good point in that having this national regulation could be harmful to so many different cities. And I think there's, I mean, we talked about, I think, I definitely think that the government should have a bigger play in waste management. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite after what I just said. I definitely think, I think there's a good balance between a local and, you know, a national kind of look at how to, how do we perform waste management to the best of our abilities. I don't even think it's like something they can do. I think it's more of something we can do as a consumer because we consume so much. Like our consumption is way out of control. Oh yeah. And then- there's no place to put this trash. So, like, we can recycle all we want, but it doesn't matter if we keep consuming at these levels. And that's why I think I I personally really love these co-op movements that are coming into play. And they've been in play, but I feel like they're growing in popularity where you can take your own jar, you can take your own Tupperware to the grocery store, oh. fill it up have no waste in the process, go home waste-free. I think that's amazing, and I think that could be a really big solution if we took the time to get used to the work it takes. I think I think the biggest thing is, I think you had mentioned the three, what were the three R's you mentioned? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Reduce, reuse, recycle. So, like, obviously recycling, but that first one, reduce. Reduce. Like, just reducing what we consume and right. just being smarter on how we consume. It's exactly, it's like we don't need to go and have... 10 different bags from our right. groceries. Like, I love all these. Oh, yeah. Uh, first off, it's super cheap. Super but then, cheap. you know, you don't have a bag. So a lot of the time, it's just throwing a bunch of my groceries in my trunk and then just figuring out how I get, when I get home, how yeah. to transfer them in the house. But still, that's like a lot better option than having like 10 different bags and then right. you just have that bag of bags type thing. And then where does that go? And I think what's most important, and this is why I thank you, Adam, for doing this and igniting yeah, yeah. this, is this conversation. Because I know this conversation is something my parents aren't having and every time I go home I get so 
angry at their overconsumption and their avoidance of all the waste that they are bringing in and throwing out without thinking. So it really does take this conversation to even notice how much waste you're using and to even notice the effect you are making just by yourself, the environmental footprint. Exactly. And I think even talking about your parents is, once again, it's like that generational thing. It's like they, back then, it's like, no one really gave a shit about the environment. We were in this industrial boom. We were making cars left and right. It's like people really didn't think about the environment because we didn't see the effects of it. It was the and, nuclear family. Yeah, and now that I feel like our generations and the generations moving forward, now that we have a better idea of the environmental impact, like who's that one senator who, like AOC, what is her name? Oh, yeah, Alexandria. Cortez. Yeah, when she's like she's like more our age and closer to our age, and she understands more of like right. how we're talking. I think that's why a lot of younger people really are attracted to what she's saying is because she actually understands where we're coming from. Whereas like when you talk about like older senators and House of Representatives and politicians in general, they're coming from an older generation that didn't understand that. And it's like, it's a lot tougher to learn a behavior than it is to grow up in a behavior. Right. And I feel, I feel like a lot of people are burdened by that generational gap because what they see it as, or what it's easy to see it as is this huge PC parade basically with so many rules that are left and right falling upon you if you go in this parade and it seems like this huge waste of time waste of energy but all you really have to do is take those things into awareness you don't have to be super sensitive about them to where you feel like you can't talk but just know oh that one thing hurts people or that one thing has an environmental effect or this one thing could be kinder If we just took the effort to be kinder in all the ways we could, that's what we're asking for. We're not asking for you to say this exact script. We're just saying be aware of your impact. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, like when you start questioning their beliefs and their behaviors, they get very defensive. And instead of listening, which would be the obvious solution, they get defensive. And that's when you get arguments and debates and stuff of that nature. And it's all just about listening and being kind and respecting another person. And it's also about talking, too, which is something that has a little bit more pressure. Because even looking at this sonic debate that we had earlier, the way that they left that letter, the employees, they're saying, I think they called them motherfuckers. They're saying we can't handle this shit. It's very loud and nobody can listen to screaming it's it's yeah it's if you go into in. negotiations they're gonna be like well you guys are just telling us to fuck off yeah. left and right it's like why would we listen to you you're taking away your power in mm-hmm. that way. yeah so it's it is a back and forth but it's a lot easier than it it feels i think i think i, I read something the other day that said like we have so many options for communication these days but we don't use it on this road trip i just went on i felt like i knew my friend to the fullest I could know her. I've known her for four years and I've decided things about her. I have my judgments. I have my things I don't like. On this road trip, we got so bored of driving constantly that we basically talked about everything we could talk about. (laughs) And we ended up talking about these things we didn't like about each other and hearing her perspective behind what she was doing, I was like, oh, that actually makes sense to me. I totally understand where you're coming from. It's that communication that we're lacking that we can really bring us together if we wanted to. Yeah, and build a stronger friendship. Yeah. Or maybe 
you realize that that friendship wasn't needed. And I think that's like, I think that's why I love road trips because yeah. that was one of the big moments on my road trip. I did a road trip by myself for the listeners who don't know. It's just being able to have a talk with yourself, just like a real honest talk with yourself and be like, this is who you are. Is this who you want to be in five, 10 years? And I think that was like one of the bigger changing moments in my life was having that conversation with myself. I would have probably had a similar conversation if it was with someone because right. <laughs> road trips can get boring. It's like, I remember listening to Hey There, Delilah like freaking a hundred times. I'm so sick of that What's song. What's it like in New York City? <laughs> That's the question. But anyways, Noah, to close out on environmental, the banning of the banning, what's your closing opinion or what's your closing words to change any opinions that are seesawing right now? All right, I have them. And these are uh, self-written, reduce, reuse, recycle. That's a Noah Kazi phrase, right? <laughs> That's the way to do it. And like to go off of that, it's like I think once you reduce, try to get your waste consumption to as low as possible, reduce as much as possible, then you go into reuse, compost, doing that kind of stuff, biodegradable stuff. Then when we get to recycling, we actually have the infrastructure to keep up with the amount of recycling that we have. Recycling isn't the first solution. It's to be the last. Noah, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. Once again, listener, you can follow more of Noah's insightfulness on his Instagram, Rebel Without a Causey, with an extra Y there at the end, or it'll be linked down below. Or keep up to date with his hand dryer obsession over on his Twitter, Orange Noah 9 Noah, as an actor, writer, also a director, too. Sometimes, yeah. Is there any big projects for 2019 that can be teased exclusively on the podcast? Well, I just wrote uh, another screenplay that I'm pretty excited about. It's about the relationship between a gay son and his pastor father, which is clearly autobiographical in that way but I really want to play with the dynamic of shame I think shame is something that really burdens the gay community the queer community because it's everywhere you're taught to be shameful especially with religion so I really want to play with uh, religion and shame and I'm really excited it follows an 11th grader who has a pretty bad LSD trip goes to jail for a couple of days for public indecency and then has to deal with the blow that did to his reputation while also being secretly homosexual and how shame can add on shame until it just feels like it's too much to handle that's what I'm passionate about sounds right like an academy award winner to me you know? oh you can you can expect <laughs> it on the big screen that's for sure. anyways thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of water cooler talk the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by noah where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories and you can listen to the show on spotify or you can head over to our facebook at facebook.com slash water cooler talk pod to choose your favorite way to listen and catch up on any old episodes that you may have missed we are also available on any and all podcast platforms name a platform noah spotify we're on there (laughs) (laughs) and once again if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story if you just want to share some of your own comments you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com noah it is tradition around here for the guests to close out the show you can do you can say whatever you want if you have any closing remarks on any of the stories if you have a story you want to share from your travels if if you have some advice you want to give to our listeners, the floor is yours. Wow. It feels so great to have this floor. 
Is this is this hardwood? It is linoleum. Oh, that's what with that a nice is. little under carpet layer on it. Oh, nice! <laughs> it feels great on my nice feet. Well, I would like to close out today's podcast with a story about my childhood, if that's okay. When I was in it. the fifth grade, we actually took it upon us as a class to figure out if we could figure out this whole environmental problem, specifically with pollution. So we were tasked as fifth graders to write our own solution to the pollution crisis. As a young very moldable student, I heard that my friends wrote their hilarious answer that they're just going to kill themselves. And I thought it'd be hilarious too if I joined in and wrote that on my paper. Turns out three weeks later, we all have to spend about an hour in the counselor's office explaining why or why not we want to kill ourselves. We did not want to, but I did come home to my dad with a goodie bag who was very concerned for his son. So got some Skittles out of it. All right, guys, that was another episode of Water Cooler Talk Pod. You can catch another new episode next week. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to have an episode every week to get back. Catch up on those two months we missed. I missed you guys. I hope you guys miss me. But anyways, guys, we will be back next Thursday with, who did I say was coming next Thursday? I cannot Ariana remember. Grande. Oh, Ariana, Ariana Grande. Grande. How could I forget? <laughs> Such like a big guess for me. Well, it's just, you just next. Forgot. You yeah. want next. Thank you, next. But anyways, Ariana Grande will be here in the studio next week. So we will see you guys then. All right, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, They're absolutely not, because they're real.